Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we're going to be talking about work that you love. And yes, it is possible. It's more than possible. It's very doable. You know, even with things changing as they are today, there are so many opportunities to find or create work that you love. Now, I need to add that in because a lot of the questions we're going to be dealing with here today have to do with creating work that you love rather than going out and trying to find it. And we've got questions like, here's a question from somebody who says, what if you live in a small rural community where there aren't a lot of employment options? Well, what do you do if you can't find work that you love? Well, this is one of those situations where we need to look for and solutions, not either or. Either you find a job that you love or you just live your life in misery. No, there are other options. One of those being What if you could create the work that you love? What would that be? What would it look like? Well, this is your host, Dan Miller, on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Wrote a book a few years ago. If you're a a new listener, I wrote a book a few years ago titled 48 Days to the Work You Love. That's uh, done very well out there, given us a, a pretty sizable platform, people that we can speak to and continue of giving tips, inspiration, hope, and encouragement. We thank you for being part of that audience and welcome you in. You can always find more information at 48days.com or if you want to get involved in a community of people who are creating work they love, you can go to 48days.net. That's a growing, sizable audience at this point, people who are saying, you know what, I think I can figure this out. I've got an idea, but I'm not sure how to do a website. So they ask somebody in that community. I'm not sure how to set up a shopping cart. So they ask somebody in that community. I'm not sure how to market my little dry cleaning business. How should I do that? And they get input from other people there at acts as a brain trust. We'd welcome you to be part of that group if that fits your needs. Well, here's some of the other questions we're going to be addressing today. Somebody says, Dan, I have a friend who's talking about ending it all. How can I help? What do you think about the idea of becoming a personal chef? Somebody says, I suffer from schizophrenia and I've had 15 short-term jobs lasting about six to eight months each. My good friend lost his business and has talked about ending it all. Well, I mentioned that. Yeah, how do you help somebody who's that discouraged, that depressed, maybe has lost business, lost money, lost real estate investments and so on? How do you help somebody like that? Somebody says, Dan, I've heard you say never to base a business model around selling products to churches. How would you handle this situation? And somebody says, if one wants to get involved with social entrepreneurship, how do I go about starting something? Well, we'll address all those and more. If you've got a question, you can go to the 48days.com podcast link and you'll see a little starburst there that'll allow you to ask a question. You can shoot it in and we'll address it here. What I do is then choose questions that I think will act as inspiration to not only you, the individual who asked the question, but to others as well. You know, the principles of success are very transferable. So if you're doing something that helps you promote your landscaping business, chances are it can help 
a whole lot of other people with other kind of businesses, even though they're not related to that. The principles of success are very much the same. Principles of failure are very transferable as well. And if you can see what somebody else did and how they failed, you can learn from that as well. Well, here's a quotation for us today. This actually came from not somebody famous, but from somebody who was in one of our live events here recently. Well, maybe he is famous. His name is Jerry Ford. And I guess we know a Jerry Ford that was famous, but this was not the ex-president. This was a participant in one of our coaching events who actually said, if you are interesting, people will like you. If you are interested, people will love you. I thought that was a profound statement. You know, that seems to capture a pretty far-reaching principle. When somebody spends 30 minutes telling you how they traveled to Africa and spent three weeks digging a well to give fresh water to the community there, you may put them on your list of interesting friends. But if another person follows up on your mention that you are looking for a job and they ask you what your strongest talents are and then offer to introduce you to the hiring manager at their company, uh, the feeling about that person goes much deeper than just an interesting friend. So would the five people who know you best describe you as interesting or as interested? That's one of those basic principles you can make a turn today in whether people like you or love you based on whether you are interesting or interested. Here's a helpful note from a listener. I've mentioned um, a couple weeks ago, I think, that somebody said it's difficult to capture all the website and resources that I give in a live radio show like this. And would I please, you know, compile a list at the end of each show and put it in the show notes like on iTunes? Well, it's a great idea, but I'm not going to be doing that. I mean, I allot so much time for this particular part of my business. And we do keep a lot of lists, ongoing lists under resources at 48days.com where you can find things. But here's a helpful note from Rob, a listener uh, from Centerville, Tennessee, and I appreciate it. Rob says, note to the fellow who finds it hard to jot down sites, books you mentioned in the podcast. I used to have the same trouble until I got Evernote for my smartphone. This is a neat little app, and I open it and speak my notes into it while driving. If I want to save a site or book a title for later, uh, for example, this morning I noted when listening to your podcast, I noted hardtofindseminars.com on Evernote. Have a great week, Dan. Well, thanks for the note, Rob. And, and you're right. I mean, that's a great tool. Evernote, I mean, if you have a smartphone, you've already got the little record feature there. You can always open that up. But Evernote is much more uh, all-encompassing. You can pull pictures over into that. You can use audio clips. You can send messages while you're on it. You can handwrite in there. A lot of things. So great tip as a way to capture those things that you may be hearing. And I use my smartphone all the time. And if I'm traveling or if I'm out walking or driving the car and I hear something, yeah, I either make a note just in the note feature on my smartphone or do a little audio clip that I can go back and listen to that evening. Well, here's another Rob says, Dan, I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now. I know you've been encouraging and inspiring. What do you think about the idea of becoming a personal chef? I've been cooking in commercial kitchens for quite some time. Would love to have more control over my pay and hours. Have you heard much about this? And do you think it would be a viable career opportunity? Sure, I do. I mean, there, there are anything you can imagine that offers speed, efficiency, comfort, or convenience to baby boomers can make you wealthy. 
And certainly personal chef falls in that category. I mean, if you can do that and do that well, you get with a busy executive and his family and you're their personal chef. I mean, certainly you read about, you know, Jennifer Aniston has a a personal chef and people like that are extremely well paid for what they do. Yeah, I think it's a great opportunity. You can position yourself as such. You might start out by doing, by catering events. We had a guy who wants to be a personal chef here at one of our events last week where he did the catering. Well, what that did, he he, he brought seafood lasagna it was amazing i think i've eaten every day since then out of the leftovers but it's just amazing what that did it gave a whole bunch of people exposure to what he does so in his desire to do more personal chef services uh, he, he had a whole lot of people who he now knows his work so you might start out with things like that but i think it's a great idea that you can move into and certainly uh, very appropriate and viable for the day and age in which we live. Ivan says, I hope you have some advice. Over the past three or four years, my good friend has had his business implode. He lost three rental houses due to foreclosure, ran through all his savings and retirement accounts, looked for jobs, got them, then got laid off. He tried to make money other ways through consulting and becoming a pro poker player nothing's working for him he joked that if he had insurance he'd just end it all so his wife and daughter could get paid when delving more he said dad that's just a joke but i'm worried i want to help him i want to stamp my figures and make it better i pointed him to the wheel of life in 48 days told him how it changed my life i made tons of suggestions but he said he's tried and things just won't work for him to have any advice well I commend you on being a faithful friend for a, a, somebody who's down on their luck. There are never easy answers. There's a whole lot of reasons for somebody to be down on their luck. Now, here I'll have to admit that I used to have an assumption that if somebody had never been at the top, they probably just don't know how. But my assumption continued in that if somebody had been on top, and then went through a crash, whether that's caused by economic circumstances or by real estate downturn or whatever, then my assumption is, well, they'll come right back up again. But increasingly, I've run into people who have been up and are now down, and they stay down. And all of a sudden, not only weeks and months have gone by, but years. And I mean, it's really dumbfounded me to run into more and more people, guys I knew who were at the top. I mean, with yachts and vacation homes and private planes, you know, fancy cars, houses, the whole deal. And now they're down. And I mean, down. I mean, I talked to one just recently who did not have money to pay for the little apartment that he's in. He was putting clothes on eBay to try to raise money were groceries. He was going to using coupons at McDonald's. I mean, this guy really was a high roller. And I'm thinking, how in the world is that possible? So I've been, it prompted me to do a lot of research. And uh, in doing the research, one of the things I ran across was John Maxwell's book written back in 07 titled Talent is Never Enough. But it really helped me kind of unpack some of the things that I see happen to a person like this. Now, this is, uh, I don't mean to be discouraging or disparaging any, in any way, but talent is not enough. Talent can get you on top in terms of investments and real estate and owning material things and all of that, but it's not enough to keep you there. It's kind of a shaky 
platform unless it has underneath it, and Maxwell talks about things like character, integrity, relationships, responsibility. I mean, those are things that will keep you on top. And without those, talent with what it supplied may just crumble and fall. Now, again, everybody's situation is different. But when you come alongside somebody, help look at those areas. You know, help look at the areas of life and the wheel of life that you find in 48 days so that you can help determine what deposits of success are being made physically, spiritually, in personal development, socially, family. Those are the kind of things you want to look at. Help somebody be strong in those areas so they can bounce back more quickly. They have a foundation to bounce back than in those things like career and finances. So just keep being a friend, but keep helping them look at how to have balance, how to be successful in, in areas other than finances. And frankly, it can allow you to go through a period of time where finances are in a toilet if you have strength in those other areas that I just mentioned. Help him do that. Be a faithful friend. You can learn in the process, and hopefully he will be able to come back up again. Well, this is Dan Miller. You're listening to Dan Miller and the 48 Days Online Radio Show. If you've got a question for the radio show, just go to the link on 48days.com. Go to the podcast link. That'll give you a little form where you can shoot a question in. I'd be happy to entertain that for an upcoming show. Susan from Holyoke, Colorado. I had to look at that name kind of slowly. Holyoke, I guess that's how it's pronounced. And I did go look it up because your question is this. I've been reading your 48 days to the work you love and no more Mondays, great ideas. But what if you live in a small rural community where there aren't a lot of employment options? The job is causing stress and health issues, but I need a paycheck. What are my options? Thank you. Well, I looked up Holyoke, Colorado, and yeah, it looks to be maybe an hour and a half northeast of Denver. And I know those areas. Matter of fact, I'll be in Denver tomorrow as I'm speaking on this particular recording but i know that area pretty well and i know that some of them are small isolated towns without a whole lot going on now what you have to take comfort in though is knowing that economic opportunities are not limited by geography anymore that used to be true maybe 10 years ago certainly 20 years ago where if you couldn't find a job in your little town you were pretty well stuck but that's not true anymore you can be part of the biggest e-commerce business in the world by you know going out this afternoon and buying some baseball cards and putting them on ebay tonight now that's just one example but the world really is flat i mean i work out of a barn in a cow pasture outside of franklin tennessee i mean my business has dealings all over the world i mean we have lots of listeners and customers in places like ecuador and um, brazil and New Zealand, and Australia, and Germany, and Norway, and Sweden, and Ethiopia, and Uganda, Nigeria, Rwanda. I mean, it it amazes me, but that is possible because rather than opening a little bookstore in Franklin, Tennessee, which would be a very tempting idea, it's a quaint little town, but if I did that, I would immediately have about a five-mile radius of prospective customers And I would have to get a pretty large percentage of the prospective customers and their book needs to make that model work. But if I have just a 
a simple website where I offer books and material that deal in the particular area that I want to work in, I immediately have access to anybody in the world and I can get a real tiny percentage of the prospects there and still have an amazingly successful business. You may have to look for opportunities like that where you don't have the geographic limitations of living in Holyoke, Colorado. But beware, those options are readily available. I mean, you may be interested in pet products. And so you become a distributor for four or five companies that promote pet products. You create an online presence and you just sit there and rock and roll. You enjoy your little town. Now, certainly if you want to get a traditional job, you may need to look at the possibilities of going to a larger urban area. You're just outside of Denver, so you move a little closer into Denver where there are more opportunities. But I doubt that that's really necessary. The first thing I want you to do is decide where you want to live, what kind of lifestyle you want to have. If that is affirmed by you living in Holyoke, Colorado, then stay there. Don't move because of a job. Don't move for work or income opportunities. Decide first where you want to live and then look for income opportunities that are possible where you already are. Ed from South Carolina says, do you know of a resource on how to make the best choices when starting a business? I went to acquire my domain name and instantly had to choose who to go with, whether I should acquire .com, .net, .org, then what about hosting? I'm just starting out, but hope to outgrow some of the more affordable options, but what should I do now? I don't want to have to become an expert on all of these often repeated business decisions. I've learned a lot from your show, but it's crunch time now. Thanks for all you do for us who are unwilling to settle for so little life. Golly, great quote there. What I would encourage you to do, I mean, the the best resource that I have is just simply to send you to 48days.net. I mean, that's a group of over 10,000 people. They're experts in all the things that you have asked here. They're very willing to share, give advice, help you, point you to things that'll help you get up and running. Now, I agree You don't need to become an expert in all those things, even to start a nice little business. I mean, I'm a technology novice. I'm probably about a two or a three on a scale of 10. I don't really have any desire to be anymore, but I can easily find people whose skills supersede my own in those areas and just simply get them to help me. And you'll find willing help there at 48days.net. No cost to be a member. Just go there and get involved. You can ask all those specific questions, get help from experts in those areas, but you can, I mean, there are things that give you kind of a template so you don't have to start from nothing. I just mentioned eBay a minute ago. I mean, you can go there and you don't have to, you know, set up your own website. You don't have to make the decisions on .com, .org, .biz and all those things. You don't have to, you know, have a means for accepting payment because it's all built into that. Sites like Etsy, if you have an artistic product or craft etsy you can do the same thing there so there are a lot of places where you can be connected and have a real business of your own without having to set up all those administrative logistical detail technology things that you think may be part of starting a business on your own nicholas says dan i was wondering what you thought about someone who wants to become a catholic priest or a nun well I haven't been called to a life of poverty and celibacy, but I certainly respect those who have. I would want to make absolutely sure it is a clear calling, 
and not just an acceptable way to check out a dealing with the realities of life. Now, that may, you may wonder why I threw, the, threw that in there. I have spent time at different monasteries, as an example. I'll use that as, as an example, where uh, the guys there are living as monks. Now, that sounds like a really high calling, but frankly, in my spending time there and relating to some of those guys and observing, it seems to me like some of them have just used that as a socially acceptable way to kind of check out a real life. Uh, frankly, I, I think when it comes to poverty and celibacy, um, some of the guys there didn't, didn't leave a whole lot behind. It's probably pretty true in their life before they felt the call to be a monk. Now, you just have to recognize what you are called to. I mean, I think we're all called to ministry. So if God has equipped and prepared you to be a priest or a nun, then do that with excellence. If he's equipped and prepared you to be a, a stay-at-home mom, a landscaper, or a teacher, then do that with excellence. I don't think that being a priest or a nun is a higher or more spiritual calling than any of the other things. I think it's just different and unique for you. You know, there's, I have a quotation here from Martin Luther. Now, this is not Martin Luther King. This is Martin Luther, the theologian from years and years ago. He says this, Therefore, I advise no one to enter any religious order or the priesthood. Indeed, I advise everyone against it, unless he is forearmed with his knowledge and understands that the work of monks and priests, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household task, but that all works are measured before God by faith alone. Now he went on and says, you know, there's a lot of danger in trying to do spiritual work and that it puffs people up. He says it greatly tends to hypocrisy by reason of its outward show and unusual characters, which engenders conceit and a contempt of the common Christian life. Hey, you're listening to Dan Miller on 48 Days Online Radio. If you've got a question, go to the 48days.com site, click on podcast, shoot a question in for consideration for an upcoming show. Well, here's a question. Now, this is a tough one. Dan, I took the full shebang profile, which described me as a peacemaker. I'm a high SC. I suffer from schizophrenia for the past 25 years, and I've had 15 short-term jobs lasting about six to eight months each. Most of my jobs were clerical and I hated it, and after six months, I always needed a break, so I quit. I eventually went on disability since 2002, but my passion in life is to work for Jesus in the clergy area. But since I'm a woman, I feel it's almost impossible to make it happen. I'm not good at speaking in front of crowds like a pastor, so my second choice would be to work as a Christian counselor. I want to impact people's lives through Jesus. What do you suggest? Well, I, I commend you for being open about where you are and uh, certainly uh, being diagnosed with schizophrenia is not a minor deal. And if you see the evidences of that and you're having a hard time keeping a job for a long period of time, but be careful about going there. Now, obviously you're open about this and so you are also mature and cognizant enough to discuss it openly and look at what the best options are going to be for you. There are a lot of people out here who have had diagnoses placed on them. I mean, my one son was diagnosed bipolar, and it was seen as a real dramatic kind of thing. Well, we recognize that, yeah, he has some ups and downs, and he recognizes those, 
he chooses not to be on, on medica- any medication, and I don't think that he should be. So when he's in what would be seen as a manic phase, man, he cranks out work. He may work for 38 hours straight without taking a break or taking a shower or eating. Well, that's not the end of the world. And then when he is at the end of, end of the spectrum, he realizes he needs more rest. He needs more isolation, keep to himself. I think any of us can identify some of the patterns that would have clinical diagnostic terms if we really looked for them. I mean, how many people are ADHD or ADD and those kind of things that we hear turn thrown around there? So if you have, let's just remove the clinical kind of framework for this. If you have a challenge working in something that is very same and becomes very boring and repetitious, then realize you need to build in change to what you do. Now, the other half of your question here, you want to do something, you want to, what is your passion is to work for Jesus. All right. That doesn't confine you to being on staff at a church or being in the clergy or being a Christian counselor. As I just mentioned earlier, you can work for Jesus by being a taxi cab driver and doing that with excellence. You can work for Jesus by growing gardens, by having an organic garden and doing it in such an amazingly outstanding way that people ask you, you know, where'd you get your skill? You know, how do you do it with such excellence? And it gives you opportunity, anything you, any opportunity you want to share about the impact of Jesus in your life. Don't think that working for Jesus is going to narrowly confine you to just a few occupational areas. And in your case, I would caution you against trying to go in those particular areas because you're probably going to find some closed doors there. And you're going to feel frustrated thinking, gee, you want to do something really godly, and yet all the normal doors seem to be closed? No, just find something that is a fit for you, something that you already know about, that you already love, that you already enjoy, and do it with such excellence that it gives you your format for ministry in a very unique and compelling way. Well, here's a question. This comes from, um, I don't see the name here right off the bat. It's a long question. I'm going to con- confine it. Listener says he's been working on his own. He worked on his own for two years as a freelance web designer. He would find the clients or they would find me. I would go work for them directly or create their website or logo, whatever it was they needed. I worked alone at my house while my wife worked at her day job. I love being my own boss. I loved the freedom that being freelance gave me. I was good at networking Locally and globally, I really enjoyed the silence of my house. Being able to focus all day with little or no interruption was great. There was no one around that didn't like me. It was just me, and I loved it. Now, here's the deal. That was a couple years ago. Then they found out that his wife was pregnant. So they listed their options, and they decided they wanted her to be home, and for her to be home, that he would go get a job so they would have health insurance. So they chose that. He is now working full time. She's at home with their little girl. They love her being home. The little girl is a delight and he hates his job, but he has insurance. Now he goes on through there. You know, gee, how am I going to get through this? You know, I need insurance. I was happy when I first started the job, thought I was doing the right thing, but now I'm miserable and things have really deteriorated. Again, I've left out a whole lot of details. Dude, here's the deal. 
The only reason you state for getting a job was to have insurance. That's not a good enough reason to suffer through all the things you describe that you dislike about being in a traditional job. Just get your own insurance. Go back to freelancing that you thoroughly enjoyed and the life that you loved. When you describe all the things that you were doing and probably making a whole lot more money than you're making now, and you're at home, you loved everything about it, why wouldn't you continue to do that? Don't think that you have to go get a job if you need insurance. Now, if you've got some major pre-existing condition, yeah, it's going to be a challenge. But there's a whole lot of options out there for those of us who work on our own to have real insurance. I mean, I have an HSA, health savings account. I think that is the bomb I don't know why you would choose anything other than that if you're self-employed. It allows us to put all the premiums in there. And then when we need some kind of coverage, we need an expense paid. It comes out of the money that we've put in there for premiums. Now, what comes with that is I have coverage for the major things. I mean, mine is a $7,000 deductible. We have never gotten insurance payment, you know, years and years and years. What that means is we've never had a really catastrophic event. I haven't had to have a heart replacement. We haven't had cancer or something like that where we may have a $100,000 bill. If that happened, we have the coverage. But with a $7,000 deductible, we essentially take care of it. But all the money we put in is tax deductible. It comes right off the top. So we don't even pay money, uh, pay taxes on the money that we earned before it goes into that HSA account. So that's one. Now, without going into all the options... Go to 48days.com. You'll see a search field over on the right-hand side. Put in self-employed insurance. It'll take you right to a whole bunch of resources that I've got on there where you can then find what the best option is for you. But insurance companies want people like you and me. They want us. They know that we don't run to the doctor every time we get a scratchy throat. We just keep going because we're doing our own thing and we're loving it. So, I mean, it's not difficult to get insurance if you're on your own and there are even ways that you can be involved in groups you can become a, a member of like nfib national federation federation of independent business people you can become a member of that organization and then get group insurance through that so it's like a big company anyway so there's a lot of options but boy i mean it is really apparent you need to get out of the job you took the, thinking you were going to be responsible as a new daddy and go back to doing work that you love and just take care of the insurance piece and go on, be happy. Grant from Florence, Kentucky says, Dan, thanks for your blog. I've been working in my company for 15 years, not enjoying it anymore. Oh, this is a similar question. Um, my question is I have a wife and two kids and need to be covered with health insurance. What are my options to ensure that my family has no, has coverage for health insurance in a gap between leaving my old employer and starting with my new employer. Now this may be a little different. If you know that you're going to be three months in between or whatever, almost without exception, if you have group health insurance now with your employer, they will provide an option for you to continue it. Usually called Cobra. So you can continue it. And it's usually you can continue it for up to 18 months in between jobs. If you think that's the direction that you're going. Now, if in that, transition you discover that you're going to do something on your own and not go back then you can convert that transition over into a regular health insurance policy vanessa says from new jersey says if one wants to get involved with social entrepreneurship 
How do I figure out what to do? And then how do I go about starting something? Well, you're, it sounds a little, a little bit like you got the, the cart before the horse here, Vanessa, because you ought to have something in mind that you really want to do. And then you simply decide the best way to make that work is with a social entrepreneurship model. So let's use that as an example. Let's say that you have gone down to Haiti and you're helping in the rebuilding process there, but you're working with some of the moms who are really struggling. They're living in poverty and you really want to help them. So you really, your heart connects with them. You know, that's what you want to do. So the key now, and and here's what you need to have. Now this comes out of uh, Jim Collins wrote a little addendum to good to great. When a lot of people were saying, how can we do something that may be in the nonprofit sector? How do we still make that a great company? He said, you need to have three legs in the stool. The legs are these. What is your passion? What do you really care about? What makes your heart sing? What is your passion? Number two, where is your talent? What is it that you can do with excellence, perhaps better than anybody else? All right, those are two legs of a three-leg stool. So what are you passionate about? What are you really talented in doing? Number three, what's your economic model? All right, if those are the things you really want to do, if you want to help the ladies in Haiti who are trying to get a life for themselves, you've got some ideas for things they can do, then the third area is what's your economic plan? Now, traditionally, nonprofit would mean you come back to the United States, you hold your hand out, you go around and visit churches and your friends and say, please give me money because I'm going to go do this worthwhile thing in Haiti. That's a traditional nonprofit. That model is really shaky today. There have been a whole lot of challenges to that and a whole lot of nonprofits are suffering. But you're a social entrepreneur. You're going to say, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to help these ladies, but I need something that will be self-sustaining, something that creates the income that I need both for their needs and for my own. So you show these ladies how to scratch out a little garden and you're going to grow vegetables out there and you're going to show them how to fertilize and nurture those. And then you're going to help them take the produce and go into town and they're going to sell that. You're going to help them budget their money. So it takes care of their needs. There's excess in doing that to help you have a place to stay and live there with them as well. That's an example of social entrepreneurship. You may want to, you, you could open a coffee house, right? Where you live in New Jersey and you say, I want this to be a social entrepreneurship model. So you buy coffee from coffee growers in Bolivia and Ecuador. You pay them well. It's fair trade coffee. You pay them well for what they did. You make money in your coffee house. It's in a very, uh, very upscale part of town. It makes a lot of profits and you go right back to Bolivia and Ecuador and you pour the profits from that into those little towns where those coffee growers live to help them have a better life. Social entrepreneurship. So passion, talent, economic plan, you can do that. Now you can also, you you can get a lot of my information about social entrepreneurship. It's something I'm very excited about, believe in a lot. If you go again to 48days.com, put that in the search engine, just put it in the search engine over on the right hand side, put in social entrepreneur, and you're going to get a whole bunch of articles that I've written to help you further understand how to develop a social entrepreneurship model.
Crystal says, I've transitioned careers from being an esthetician, that's a skincare therapist, for over eight years, which I hated, to now becoming a licensed real estate agent. I'm trying to create a LinkedIn account to put myself out there as an agent for job possibilities while I build my real estate business. I'm currently serving at a restaurant at night, very eager to quit. Should I put my past work experience as an ethician, though it has nothing to do with where I want to go now? Also, should I put my educational experience? I've gone to three colleges and only finished one where I got my licensing. Uh, the answer to these questions seems to be no. However, this makes for a very blank profile. Any help? Thanks. Now, let's look. Let's do a Stephen Covey thing here, Crystal, where we're going to begin with the end in mind. The end is you want to be a successful real estate agent. What you've gotten, what, what you are doing now is getting bogged down in the details of creating a LinkedIn profile to position you as a real estate agent. A LinkedIn profile is going to have very little to do with your success as a real estate agent. I mean, just focus on being a great real estate agent. A LinkedIn profile is like an extended resume. And that's not what somebody's going to be looking at if they're considering you as an agent for their real estate company or by a potential client looking for someone to sell their house. Nobody is going to go to LinkedIn and check you out as a real estate agent. I mean, it really is almost outside the entire center of influence. Now, certainly you can do that. I mean, I am on LinkedIn, have lots of connections there. But when you are going to be in real, I mean, it has more to do with professional traditional positions. So if you want to get a job at Procter and Gamble, yeah, it would have a place in doing that. But for what you want to do, it just doesn't have enough value. Just start being a great real estate agent. And you're also talking about, you know, all these things that you have to perhaps list to convince somebody that you're a candidate for real. You don't need to do that. I don't care where you went to school. I don't care what licensure, licensure or certification or training you've had. I want to know, can you sell my house? And if I want to buy a house, do you know the market in my area? Do you know the things that I need to be aware of as a potential buyer? I mean, just focus on what you're going to. Uh, don't get bogged down in this where, where you are now about trying to position yourself to get a slow start. And also you talk about, do you need to go back to being an esthetician? Or do you need to go back to waiting tables? You know, don't assume a four-year startup period of time. If you want to be in real estate, get in it. Yeah, keep waiting tables at night if you need to. But see, this is a 90-day period to get a couple deals in the funnel as a real estate agent. Then do that. Do that with excellence. You don't need to just stick your toe in the water and be doing that very, very slowly. Hey, this is John Tash, host of Intelligence for Your Life, and you're listening to my good buddy, Dan Miller. You know, finding your purpose and passion is the first step to living out intelligence in your own life. 48 days can show you the way. Now, back to Dan. Well, you are listening to Dan on 48 Days Online Radio. Thanks for your questions coming in. You can shoot a question in. You can shoot a question, just an email if you want to, to askdan at 48days.com or go to the podcast link, 48days.com. Leave your message there. David from Wilmington, North Carolina says, I love the podcast. Now, this is an interesting question. It kind of brings, it, it kind of brings up something that I apparently talk about. Sometimes I apparently drop things in and people hear them as ironclad rules. 
uh, which seldom they are. There's not much in my life that's written in concrete. Most things are very flexible, but this is kind of an example. Okay, um, let's see, it was David who says, I'm in the process of creating small group materials for churches to use with new or returning Christians. I've been volunteering at my local church with a similar program, see tons of potential. I want to create my own material to improve on the concept. It will consist of a short workbook, audio messages, and a leader's guide. The real USP is in the delivery of the material, not the content. The group is a conversation-based approach to understanding our Christianity. This material could be used in multiple churches, community groups, or formats. I'm really excited about the project, but I've heard you say never to base a business model around selling products to churches. How would you handle that? <laughs> well, yeah, you, you've, you've heard me state that because I really do believe that. I, I think that's a very challenging, challenging model. Now, certainly, well, hey, you, you've, you've heard this guy. He's done pretty well in selling to churches. Hey, this is Dave Ramsey, and you're listening to my longtime friend and career coach, Dan Miller on I Love My Work. Now, back to Dan. You know, Dave and I, of course, have been buddies for years and years. Dave has done pretty well selling to churches, but that's not the only thing he does. Uh, Don't ever think that. Yeah, there's a high profile for Financial Peace University and churches, and they sell millions of dollars of that there. But again, that's, that's not the foundational basis of Dave's business. Golly, he writes books, he has a radio show, they have other products, they sell to corporations, there's a whole lot of things. There are companies out there like Church Initiatives. Church Initiatives, Steve Grissom's CEO, great guy, based out of Raleigh, uh, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, they create products like grief share and divorce care. So you'll drive around, you'll see those signs in front of churches. We're doing a divorce care program. They got a brand new product that I was honored to be a part of a videoed some segments for it it's called single and parenting it's just coming out their entire business model is built on selling to churches certainly we see things like lifeway that creates content curriculum content for churches so i mean it's obvious it can be done i just don't want to do it i think it's too much work there's the mentality in churches that things ought to be free I just think there's a whole lot easier ways to make money than have a business that is dependent on that. Now, again, being ha- having said that, we sell a lot of products to people who are wanting to find their calling, create fulfilling work, live a meaningful life. We also sell a lot to churches. But as a percentage of our total business, our sales directly to churches probably comprise, I don't know, maybe 2% of, of our sales. I, I don't have the figures really accurately here it's so small we don't even really track it i just think i think that probably what you're doing here you ought to continue to do as a volunteer you know maybe you can then have a material cost for what you're doing but i think it's pretty challenging to try to ramp that up into a reasonable income generator again this this is me when you ask a question you're going to get dan meller's opinion and that's all it is i've done a lot of work in churches over the years i speak there i get paid very well for speaking in churches but again i've never made that a part a very direct part 
of what we're doing in business. Even the seminars that we do, the 48 Days to the Work You Love, my intention was never for those to be done in churches primarily. Now, I knew that that would be an offshoot and some people would want to do that, but I I really designed them to be done like in chambers of commerce or in community centers. I mean, that's where I expected to have the most traction for 48 Days to the Work You Love seminars. I guess part of what I'm wondering with the way you describe your materials here, David, is if there's a broader application than being done just in churches anyway. If you have a conversational model of introducing training material, could that same prototype be used for materials that could be used in corporations? I mean, I used to do, I used to do a lot of training seminars in corporations. They're used to writing big checks. I mean, I did a three, this was, this would have been 10, 12 years ago. I was doing uh, leadership excellence seminar. So I would go in, we would do the personality profile. I'd limit it to 20 people, did a three hour workshop. It's $3,500. Now I've done a lot of training sessions in churches as well, but I've never been paid $3,500 for a three hour training session in a church. Well, I shouldn't say that because actually I'm, you know, as a speaker, you know, that's kind of in a different category and I am paid very well for that. But uh, again, I think that if you have a training model, I think you'll drive yourself crazy if you try to make that the focus of your business and just sell to churches. And I, I may be way off on this. I'd love to have you go prove me wrong. <laughs> go, go make it a success and let me know about your success in doing it. It's just an area that I think is challenging and um, not going to be a primary focus of my business anytime soon. Well, Andy asked a question. Dan, I have a short story I'll be releasing on Amazon's Kindle called The Escape. I posted the cover in the Write write It Forward form on 48days.net. It's science fiction and illustrates how you can take charge of your own life if you ever wanted things to get better. I'm wondering how much marketing I should do before I publish the story. I've done some stuff on Facebook and on the 48 Days member forum. I have a few minor changes to make to the story and it's going to be out there. Thanks for the inspiration. When I have a new product to introduce, it's always a soft introduction. Now, as a writer, and Andy, you're you're talking about a, a written product here, so I'll just kind of equate it to that. I never spring something brand new on my reading audience. I always test it out first. So I'm testing in blogs and newsletters, or we'll put together a 30-page manifesto and just put it out there. Everything that I put out there as a product, I've already been giving it away free for a long time. I give it away free. I want a whole lot of people to read it, to comment on it. Now, you may think that, well, I'm diluting my market then for selling that. No, I don't believe that. I think it works exactly the other way around. I think if you give it away to 10,000 people, that you increase your chances for selling 10,000 copies of what you have rather than reduce it. I mean, if those people liked it and enjoyed it, a whole lot of them are going to come back and want the real thing, essentially as a souvenir copy of what you showed them in a free format. So I'm one to just get it out there. That being said, then that means that the marketing is not something that we start January 1st and we market through February 15th. 
No, the marketing has already been done. It just is a continuing thing. I'm sharing ideas. I don't write anything that just stands alone as one unit anyway. Anything that I write is just an introduction to what we're doing at 48 Days. It's a continuation of other things, and it's a, a prelude to things I'll be writing next year. So it's a very much a moving target at all times. That may not relate to what you have. If you have like a novel or a standalone piece, it may be a little different. But you can start marketing immediately. But I don't think you really, there's no point in really marketing in advance. I mean, if you're going to do more traditional marketing, have it available. So if you're telling people about it, there's a click through, they can go right there and get it instantly. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a list of things for writers to do. I've got a list of 48 ways to you know, fill your funnel to establish a platform. And as a writer, that's really what you're looking for. You're looking for a platform. You're looking for a way to build an audience. That's what you want to do as an author. Well, ultimately, we're going to look forward to the time when you could be singing this song. I had a million dollars. You know, when these projects you're talking about, the businesses you're talking about developing here, yeah, hey, you want you want to think big. A lot of times when I hear somebody talking, they want to start a little sideline business. Like, well, if I could just make another $500 a month, you know, on the side. I don't know how to think about a $500 a month idea. Because if you have a good idea that you're doing on your own, why would you do something that had a ceiling? Why don't you come up with an idea that has no ceiling? That's why I like to look for ideas that have residual potential rather than just linear. There's just so many things out there to be done. Well, I know that you're part of a group who's figuring this all out, who is innovative, somebody who is uh, looking for new opportunities, somebody who has the ability to see what everybody right around you doesn't see. Take advantage of the time that we're in. This is the, the worst of times, the best of times. Yeah, it's both. There are people who think that this is a horrible time, and there are people right now who are finding opportunities of their dreams. Thanks for being part of this growing community where we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. This is Dan Miller on a 48 Days Online radio show.